That was worth a clap or two. Pretty awesome. Call it grace. Call it grace. You know, as we begin this series today, want to be blessed, the answer is an obvious and resounding yes. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be blessed. I know a lot of people who have their minds set on what it means to be blessed, but I know everybody wants to be blessed. And you know, the amazing thing is that when you look in the scriptures, you find that from the very beginning, God created us to bless us. God created Adam and Eve, and he blessed them. He blessed them with a place to live. He blessed them with all that they could imagine or want. He blessed them with each other. He blessed them with a garden to enjoy and all the animals, etc. So, so our God has always been interested in blessing his people. All the way back from creation, all the way through, and you'll find in the New Testament, even in the book of Revelation, that God is interested in blessing, in blessing. The question arises about this whole thing about being blessed. How important is it to be blessed? In the Old Testament, we find stories and also a tradition through the children of Israel, historically, that they have practiced. We find that blessing was a significant part of the life of the people. Parents would bless their children on a regular basis. Fathers in particular would bestow a blessing on their children. And they had a special blessing for the firstborn that they would give. Blessing was something that every child looked forward to in terms of their, their family, their father, their relationship with their dad especially, but moms too. They wanted to receive that blessing. And you have... You have recorded in Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 30, probably the greatest tragedy in terms of uh, one's anguish over not receiving a blessing. The story of Jacob and Esau, and if you recall the story, uh, Jacob uh, decided uh, with his mother's help to, <laughs> to, trick, to trick his father who, who was aged and could not see very well. And the result of that was that Jacob basically stole the blessing from Esau. And Esau was so overcome and so overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, he's the, one that, he's the one that went out and did the hunting. And he caught the game and brought it back. And he was getting ready to fix it. And he fixed it for his dad. He brought it in to fix it. But while he was gone out hunting, uh, his mother with Jacob... They went out and got an, an animal that they had and they, they butchered it and prepared a meal before, before Esau could come back. And then they put uh, hairy material on their son uh, Jacob and Jacob went in and Isaac couldn't see so he said, come near to me and kiss me and he held him and touched him and he, he thought, well, this is, this is indeed Esau and so he blessed him. He blessed him. And then here comes Esau with his meal that he went out and hunted for and brought back. And, and he comes into his father and he's talking with his father and his father says, who are you? He says, I'm your son, I'm your firstborn. And there's this incredible interaction that takes place where he tells him, who was the one who hunted the game and brought it that I ate of all of it? 
before you came and I blessed him. Verse 34 of chapter 27 of Genesis. When Esau heard these words, the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Don't you have another blessing for me? Now obviously this had to do with the blessing of the firstborn. But blessing is essential. Being blessed is really vital to a life that's healthy. A life where the relationships that you have with other people is also healthy. Being blessed has a lot to do with whether or not you are psychologically and emotionally and and all of the above in terms of life able to function in a way that God designed for you to function, which was not in turmoil and not in anguish and not in sorrow and not in bitterness and not in anger and not in resentment, but in a relationship that is harmonious with God and as a result with others too. So being blessed is so essential. Everyone wants to be blessed. And everyone wants this kind of blessing. Everybody wants to be blessed by God, even though they may not know it. Even they don't they may not realize it, but everybody's searching for this blessing. Next week we're going to talk about some of the consequences of not having been blessed. But this morning we're going to focus on a couple of things that will help us, I think, to understand a little bit more about blessing. It is so essential that that even Jabez in First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, Oh, bless me to God. Bless me indeed. Please bless me. Please bless me. Even though people don't cry out those words, every single human being longs, longs to be blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? First of all, First of all, it means to be loved. To be blessed means to be loved. And it means to be loved unconditionally. Unconditionally. Secondly, it means to be accepted. Accepted. Accepted just as you are. Just as you are. And then finally, under this first point, it means to be happy. means to be happy. Now, I don't know anyone who doesn't want to be loved, accepted, and happy. Do you? I know some people who say they don't really care. I know some people who kind of say, well, I don't really, it doesn't bother me. You know, I'm, although, as though there's some kind of a tough guy or, or something else, but Next week, we'll find out why some people do that and why they respond the way they do. But this morning, I want to focus for a minute on the fact that these three things are essential. And so in your relationships, in particular with your relationship with a father growing up, it is, it is something that all children long for. They look to be loved, accepted, and happy. Loved unconditionally, accepted completely, and happy. Let me... Let me dissect those briefly with regard to God and his relationship with us. Loved unconditionally. Jeremiah 31.3 
The Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting love. 1 John 4.10 This is what love is. It is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. The sign that you see at some football games, John 3.16, is not a seat or a section or the name of somebody you're looking for. But most of us know John 3.16 if you've been in church at all. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved us even while we were sinners, Paul says. In other words, even when we were messed up, even when we did wrong, even when we were, we were out, of, out of touch and out of control, he loved us. He loved us unconditionally. God never tells us to straighten up before he'll love us. That sure is a good thing. Really is. So he loves us unconditionally. Secondly, he accepts us completely. Now, you need to understand there's a difference between accepting someone completely and accepting bad behavior. There's a difference. God accepts us as we are. But because he is so awesome and powerful and so loving, he doesn't leave us as we are. And he doesn't tell us, because it would be a contradiction, it would be a playing with our minds type of a thing. He doesn't say, I love you unconditionally, now straighten up. (laughs) He says, I love you unconditionally, and he provides us with everything that we need in order to experience that unconditional love. And then he tells us, I accept you as you are, and now I want to help you and assist you to become all that you're meant to be. He accepts us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, 5 to 7, the Bible says he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I love this. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Accepted in Christ. We are accepted in Christ. Totally accepted in Christ. All of our quirks, all of our uniqueness, We have been completely accepted. Some people might reject you, but God will always accept you just as you are. And then finally, it means to be happy. Happy in the sense of being free of worldly care. There's two words I wrote in your your notes there that I, I think are a reminder for those of you who remember us going through the Beatitudes together in Matthew chapter 5. But to be happy, there's two words that were used by the Greeks. One was the word eutychus, which was happiness that was circumstantial. In other words, somebody would say, today, you know, I just won the lottery. I'm really happy. Or I just found the love of my life. I'm just really happy. Or whatever the reason, circumstances are such that cause a person to be happy outside circumstances. That's eutychus happiness. That's happiness from the outside in. That's not what he's talking about. Not here, not in any portion of Scripture, that word is not used. The word that's used for happiness is the word makarios, which is happiness from the inside out. Inside out. It was used to describe uh, by the Greeks. It was used to describe the gods. The gods who lived up there in that place where they were free from all worldly care and they were experiencing Uh, Just an incredible, wonderful life. No worries. 
no anxieties and no fears. They were happy. The gods were happy. And that's why it was used. And Jesus uses that same word and it's used throughout the New Testament. Its counterpart in the Old Testament is used to describe a person who has been loved unconditionally and accepted completely. That person is genuinely happy from the inside out. It's kind of like the, the child who grows up in an environment where they are loved unconditionally and they are, they are accepted completely and uh, they're just enjoying life. They're just having a blast. And sometimes doing some things that are rather challenging for parents, but they're enjoying life. They're not concerned about whether they're going to get a meal. They're not concerned about how things are going to go, what's going to happen. They're just enjoying life. They're having a blast. This individual is genuinely, genuinely happy. By the way, the word happy itself is the, is the very word that Jesus uses, which I just mentioned, blessed. All through Matthew chapter 5. All through the New Testament and Old Testament. Before we move on, I want to add another item to this whole idea of understanding what it means to be blessed. In, in Genesis chapter 12, there's a sovereign selection by God. God chooses a certain group of people. He chooses Abraham and all those who are going to come after Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I've chosen you, chosen you to be the father of many, 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 many people. Sovereign selection. And not only have I chosen you, but I've also blessed you. And there in Genesis chapter 12, we find the words, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. It's really fascinating because the word curse there in the Hebrew means to give no weight to. Give no weight to. It means that there's no value placed on that person or in this case that nation. The word blessing, by the way, at the root of it is the opposite of that. It means placing incredible weight and value in that person. And just as a, as a kind of a teaser, I guess, for later on, did you know that the, the word blessed or blessing, it has a connotation that leads in its depth and weight to the word that's used in the Bible, honor. Honor. So when someone is blessed, a great deal of weight and value has been placed on that life. And the people blessing are honoring them, placing great value. So let's go on and look this morning at what's needed in order to be blessed. What is needed in order to be blessed? And the first thing I want to do is to give these to you, these five blanks that are there on your notes. I just want to give them to you and mention them. And as I do, I'm going to talk briefly about them in terms of the life in which we live on the planet in our human relationships. And then I want to talk to you briefly about how God accomplishes all five of these in our lives. So the first one is a meaningful touch. 
a meaningful touch. Over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, you'll find that when blessing was given, there was touch involved. Touch, meaningful touch. The word meaningful is kind of important. It wasn't careless. It was not something that was just kind of thrown around. It was a meaningful touch. In fact, in the Bible, there's a whole lot of blessing that takes place with the laying on of hands. Touching. Meaningful touch. So if you think about the human relationships that we have and longing to be blessed, and you think about this in terms of the context of a father's relationship with children, children need meaningful touch. Meaningful touch. The second one is a spoken message. A spoken message. It's not enough. It's not enough just simply to tell someone you love them. You need to communicate it repeatedly over and over again. You've heard the story about the couple that went in for counseling. They'd been married for 25 years. And, and um, the counselor asked the husband, when was the last time you told your wife you loved her? He said, 25 years ago when we got married, don't you think that's enough? <laughs> we laugh at that because it really is kind of out there, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who find it very hard to speak that simple, powerful message. But it's essential. It's essential. Especially with children in a family, they need to not only have that meaningful touch, but they need to have that spoken message, that communication. They need to have a recognition that they are highly valued. High value needs to be placed on them, and they need to know that they are highly valued. More important than anything else. More important than any, any, anything else. High value. D, that they have a special future. Special future. You know, when you look at your kids as a, as a dad, it is so important not only to give them this meaningful touch and the spoken word and, and to have high value, but it's also important for you to be a student of your child so that you can identify where they're going. Not where you want them to go and not where somebody else wants them to go, but what do you see? Where are they going? And how do, you, how do you value them to the place where you are giving them a special future? You're talking about their lives and where you see them going and what you see happening with them. And you're communicating to them that your future is special. Your future is bright. I can see it. Now, you might not see everything, obviously, because you're human as I am. But communicating this is so essential. And then, and then finally, there has to be a personal commitment. You know, in terms of fathers, not only are these four essential, but the final one is really key, and that is that you have to take a personal, personal responsibility in order to see that person, that child, actually reach those things that you see in them. So you've got to work. You've got to work hard. You know, the most challenging thing in my whole life has been seeking to be a good dad. And I've got a long ways to go, but you, you have to work at it. It's not something that can happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen just because you live in the same house. You have to work at this. And some of you maybe are part of a family where there is no dad. Then, then you become, as a mom, you become the person who, 
who does that. And by the way, let me take this all the way into other relationships. You can also bless other people, whether it's at work or at church or in your neighborhood, by thinking of these same things. Now, you, you have to be careful. You know, the meaningful touch thing, don't get too carried away. At work, you could get in trouble. The neighborhood, you might get in trouble. But you understand what I mean. Meaningful touch, spoken message, high value, special future, and a personal commitment. I want you to notice, I want you to notice that God in his amazing love for us has done every single one of these. The first one, a meaningful touch. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. In the beginning, John 1.1, was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus, Jesus came and took on human form so that He could touch us. So He could live amongst us. In fact, over and over, when you look in the New Testament at the life of Jesus, you find examples of how Jesus Christ touched people. Touched them. He touched those that were untouchable as far as the culture and the society was concerned. Remember the leper who came and said to Jesus, you know, if, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, if I'm willing, if I'm willing, he reached out. And touched the untouchable leper. Remember all the little kids that were coming by and they wanted to see Jesus? What did they want from Jesus? Have you ever thought about that, these kids? He was a good rabbi. They wanted a blessing. <laughs> and the disciples are saying, no, no, get away from here. Get. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let the children come. And not only did he touch them, but the Bible tells us that Jesus also put them on his lap. He was really close, meaningful touch. God so loved us that he sent his son and Jesus came and put on flesh so that he could touch us. We could touch us. John says we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Touch. Secondly, with regard to the spoken word, I mentioned it a couple times already, but there in John 1 and John 1, 14, don't you find it interesting that it says that in the beginning was the what? The word. word. And the word was God and the word was with God. John 1, 14, it says the word became flesh, the spoken word. We hold in our hands the communication of the word of God to us. God is not just about touching God is about speaking. He's about communicating. And God communicates throughout his word to us because we're valuable and because he wants to bless our lives. He wants us to experience unconditional love, complete and total acceptance, and true, true happiness from the inside out. What about high value? High value. Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says that we are the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. Don't you think that should maybe alter our thinking of ourselves? 
just a little bit. We are so valuable. We're the apple of his eye. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We're so valuable that God, God, pursues us. He pursues us. He's not just way off up there somewhere in the sky. He is pursuing us. He is constantly drawing us. There's one verse of Scripture that, that really kind of haunts me at times, and I wish it weren't so, but it tells us that the Spirit of God will not always strive with men. There's going to come a time when the pursuit will end, and then it will be the end. But until then... Until then, he pursues us. We're so valuable that God left heaven. God became a man. God put on human form. And God pursues us to seek us. Jesus tells a story about the shepherd who loses one of his sheep and he leaves the 99 and goes hunting after the one until he finds it. Every single one of us in this room are valuable just like the one that was lost. Every one of us. What about special future? <laughs> Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. God has incredible plans for us. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. There's a future that is far more than just a ticket to heaven. It is being complete. It is being in relationship with the Almighty God. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine eternity in the presence of God and with a whole bunch of people just like you. Perfected version. Right? I mean, that's where we're headed. We have a future and a hope. We have, we have an incredible, incredible future ahead of us because he paid for it. Jesus paid the price to secure that future for us. And then finally, the personal commitment. In John 14, Jesus is with his disciples and obviously he's already committed his life to them and he's been walking with them and they've been with him. And in the process of this relationship, he tells them he's leaving them and they're kind of like, wait a minute. You can't do that to us. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is not just committed to seeking us and saving us. Jesus is committed to seeing us to the very, very fruition and fulfillment of all of his promises. One of the ways that we find out how blessed we are is by recognizing how loved we are. 
not by what we have, but by whom we have. I've bragged on a number of occasions and will continue to do so that when it comes to my life and Ruth's life, often I'll tell people, you know, that I won the lottery and they'll go, really? And I'll say, yeah. I've got five incredible children. And every one of them love God. I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. But when I think about my relationship with God, I am so blessed because He loves me unconditionally. Just celebrated a birthday yesterday, and by the way, you're you're looking at an improved version. <laughs> of years gone by. Often I tease the Persian church, you know, I tell them on Sunday nights that, that I was a little devil. But I appeared as an angel of light. And what an amazing transition and transformation that God has done in my heart and my life. Because I know I'm loved, not just by my parents, which I thank God for, but I'm loved by God. I'm loved by the Creator. He loves me. Oh, how He loves me. Maybe you've heard this story about the guy who was talking about the greatest, greatest uh, message of all time, the greatest song, and he said, he said, oh yeah, he said, it's real simple. And he started singing. Jesus loves me, this I know. Sing it with me. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We, we are loved. We are loved. We are loved. We are loved unconditionally. We are accepted completely. Completely. And this morning I know of no better way for us to celebrate this than to, than to refocus our attention on God's manifestation of these truths. Father, we pray this morning that you'll help us. You'll help us to understand what you've done. Lord, help us even right now to get a, a better comprehension in our hearts. Just whisper to us. Tell us. Tell us again how much you love us. And Lord, as we, as we partake this morning of communion, help us to partake of the bread in remembrance and partake of the cup in remembrance uh, in remembrance of your unconditional love, your complete acceptance. Help us to see 
And Father, renew our understanding of your commitment to us. And we want to thank you. We want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.